Hey guys, if you're interested in checking out a video version of the show, please visit the Low Key Geek channel on YouTube. There you can not only catch the video version of the podcast, but you can also check out my other projects and short form video that I produce. You can find a link in the description. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? In this week's episode of Movie Time, Blake and I watched the latest Day Shift, the movie, uh, Netflix original movie that came out recently. Is this one of those movies that you could add to the list of the ongoing mediocrity of Netflix original movies? We're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that and explain why I said it that way. Kind of give a state of the union as far as the Netflix original movies are concerned and uh, kind of run down the biggest movies that have come out on Netflix so far. So if that's definitely something that interests to you, hang out, chill out, grab your favorite snack because it's time for movie time coming at you now. What's up, y'all? It is another episode of Movie Time. We got the movie boys in the hizzy. Got myself, low-key geek Renee here, and my boy Blake the Wolf. What's going on, dude? Renee, what is up? How's it going, man? Good, good, good. Another week, another topic to talk about movie-wise, and got a little bit of a doozy in this one. Um, So basically... Blake and I spent the last week and a half kind of catching up on all the Netflix original movies. And uh, boy, it's been interesting. So we're definitely going to be talking about State of the Union. And that is the Netflix movie slate, how it really correlates with their business model. What's the deal with all the stuff that they're putting out there? And what do we foresee maybe them doing in the future? We don't know, but um, this is not your typical kind of like streaming review. Um, it's not like a platform review. We're just talking about it as uh, in a perspective of two movie lovers who go to Netflix and are hoping to see some original content as far as the movies are concerned. And how is it feeding our obsession and need for that? So we're definitely going to talk about that. So. If that's something that you're interested in, you love the topic, and you just happen to come across our video for the very first time, welcome. Thank you for watching and or listening. Um, We are Blake and Renee. Like I said before, Movie Time is a podcast that we basically, two guys talk about movies and bullshit and all that stuff like that. Um, You could find it here on the Loki Geek channel. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe, like, notification bell to get notified for things. If you're an audio listener, you could find it also in your podcast platform of choice. Just look for the Low Kiki channel there. And you can find this episode and so much others there. Download, play them, leave a good rating, um, follow the feed, all that good stuff. Um, but the most important thing, and our last video, you guys went swinging yes. and we love it. Yes. Comment, yes. comment, yes. comment, comment. And we loved every comment. I believe we did our best to keep up and responded to as many of the comments as we could. Uh, but thank you, thank you, thank you. That that was fun. I actually learned a lot in the comment section, which is rare. Yes. So if we are able to build a comment section where there's like it's informational and there's like absolutely that was beautiful. I love that. That is my favorite way for people to support. And then ooh, this week, as you said, doozy is definitely the right word. We definitely put our time in. We watched what is it, about eleven Netflix movies, which we'll get to a little bit later. 
but yeah, definitely the support is super helpful because goodness, <laughs> this was a long one uh, and just putting in hours uh, that uh, if, I hope that this conversation pays off. I'm very glad that we're, we're having it. I love discussing mm-hmm. movies with you and even like, even if it wasn't, you know, we have sometimes where we're super hyped on a movie like last week in the sitcomment section. Yeah. That's really fun. This one felt more like a labor of love with the emphasis on labor. Um, yeah. But I am glad that we get to have this conversation. So, no, for sure. Like, like this is one of the the rare times it actually felt like work, you know, yeah. and um, which is not a bad thing. I mean, look, it's good that we did this exercise because it's good to know what's being put out there, and your thoughts and feelings could be very different from ours, you know? Yeah. And again, that's one of the reasons why we love the conversation and we love the comments and all that. Um, but needless to say, it, it was pretty rough, I think, for the both of us. Um, but, you know, let's just dive in and start off with the, the newest in the library of Netflix original movies, and that's Day Shift. Day Shift um, is your uh, movie that came out last weekend, I believe it was, um, starring Jamie Foxx. Dave Franco and um, someone that uh, and Snoop Dogg, of course. And, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but anytime I hear Snoop Dogg is is attached to any movie, that means great a quality. Right. Like we're, we're talking about this is going to be the bee's knees for the month that the movie is coming out. And um, but uh, personally, for me, it was nice to see t- Natasha Liu Bordizzo because um, she is cast in the new Ahsoka live action Disney Plus show for Star Wars. And uh, I am not 100% familiar with her line of work. I've seen her a little bit here and there. So it was nice to see just a little bit, get a glimpse of what she can do before that series actually comes out next year. So it was good to see that. But um, the, the the plot is very basic. It's, uh, you know, you got vampires roaming around the streets of California. And you got, you know, guys who are kind of hunting them down for profit and fame. Um, you know, if you're expecting uh from dust till dawn meets blade, eh, maybe you got a little bit of that. Um I'll just put it to you this way. Uh for me personally, I thought the movie peaked after the first 10 minutes. Like within the first 10 minutes, um the opening scene, Jamie Foxx fights this you know in this house with this like old vampire lady. Uh, and all that stuff like that. And you could tell they put a lot of emphasis and effort in this one action sequence. You know, you had all the different camera angles. You had all the acrobatics, all the special effects and all that. And then it just went downhill from there for me. Um, most of the movie for me was extremely boring. Uh, they tried really hard to be funny in like throughout most of the movie. I didn't find myself laughing that much mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. in a lot of the dialogue. The, a lot of the scenes, you're you're with two guys in a car, and that's it. You know, you, they're just having dialogue and conversation. Um, Dave Franco plays this like really wimpy kind of like uh, guy who wants to achieve more, but he he doesn't have the confidence. And then now, you know, as the movie progresses, he gets he builds his confidence and all that because you know that's what happens when you turn into a vampire. Oops, spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Not that well, I really care. <laughs> no, you Look, you can't spoil something if it wasn't if it doesn't end up being that good to begin with. That's just called like, Exactly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Like like and I'll just say this right now, like all the things that we're going to be talking about today, we are going to be probably hinting at spoilers or just mention some things in spoilers. So it's just like 
it's just easier for us to talk about it this way and it just like you know um so that we could just give our full thoughts and feelings about it all um but Renee, the movie I'm sorry. yeah if if you have sour milk is it possible to spoil it i don't think so <laughs> but i'm done Shh. This no. one actually wasn't wasn't that bad. There there's a few on on the ones we saw, but no, no, uh, like uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, well, this oh, is definitely well, not yeah. It it's not the worst on the list of movies no. uh, that that we have here, but it it definitely wasn't as good as it could have been. I oh, felt yeah. like this movie had potential, like it really yeah. did. Um, I did like that it kind of was a throwback to like the 90s action style of movies right you know like i felt like it did kind of like harken back to those days but it, for me it was just a lot of the dialogue fell flat um the action sequences like i said i felt like they they did all of their best work in the beginning of the movie and then they kind of ran out of ideas or whatever the case is um and a lot of the characters were also unlikable in a way so it, it was just it just fell a little flat for me like i'm curious to hear what are your thoughts uh of this movie yeah so i think there are a it there, it's a humor action vampire movie yeah there were a lot of jokes in the movie the jokes weren't particularly funny I like Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx is yeah. a showman in the truest sense of the word and is very capable of delivering any caliber of script. I like Dave Franco a lot. Dave Franco's made me laugh many times. He's kind of like um, a successor to the Seth Rogen, James Franco, totally. um, Ride World. He has mm -hmm. a similar timing. I don't know. I honestly don't know if he's as good at improv or if he's more just cute face able to deliver lines someone else wrote. Right. The problem with this movie is if the action were really great, I would forgive the dumb jokes. And if the yeah. comedy were better, then that would have made it a good movie. The performances I thought were fine. You have, honestly, like Dave Franco and Jamie Foxx, that's, they had good chemistry, um, and they're both fully capable. I don't know exactly what's wrong with this movie, so I'm glad we're talking about it. But I would say the one of the main things that stood out for me is I actually don't agree on the first 10 minutes thing. I definitely buy into the concept of buddy comedy, mm -hmm. road trip kind of comedy. I need to get my family back, action movie, all of those with the vampire element. I love vampires. I love vampire movies. On Letterboxd, I have a list called Vampires or People Too. And it's just my <laughs> favorite vampire movies or interesting ones. The the vampire stuff to me was they were they were kind of like um you know there's the zombie movies where they're the creepy slow ones and there's the zombie yeah. movies where they can fucking haul and those are the can be more terrifying. This one was more just like intense and gross. The some of the things with the vampires like vampire stuff can generally be pretty gross. This was like a lot of bile humor and yeah. someone being yeah. covered in bile or just <laughs> seeing someone like their guts leaking out a little too much. And I have a soft stomach for that. So maybe some people find that really funny. I generally don't. I kind of was nauseated by the very, the initial vampire scene, but I was in on the concept after that where, okay, man needs to get his family back in order to do that. He has to go hunt vampires and that's, and do it with this buddy. And they're not actually friends, but it's about the friends you make along the way. Renee. Sure. Yeah. Um, and about the vampire friends you make along the way. Uh, R.I.P. Dave Franco. Uh, 
the jokes weren't funny to me. There was a couple that I noticed and, and wrote down. One of them is they, they feel like recycled jokes. So at some mm -hmm. point, Dave Franco does the I swallowed it whenever he throws up and he, it's right. in his mouth. And like, that's a quote that goes back to dodgeball. I had to look it up because I was like, where have I heard that before? Dodgeball. It's, it's been used a lot. Yeah. They go, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. And I, when I searched for it, though, it came up on a website that was like jokes that should be retired forever because they're overused. And this movie mm -hmm. literally used something that before this movie was made was on this list. Yeah. Um, that's that's an example where uh, there was another, there was a pink eye joke also. Um, if we're talking about like Dave Franco being a potential successor to those movies and that style of comedy, you don't want the jokes to be pre-written by other movies that were funny. That's not good for your comedy. Part of comedy is like a game of expectations, catching people off guard. And the reason why those jokes were funny when you, the first time you heard it, you go, I can't believe I just heard somebody say that. Yeah. Whoa. Now it's just like, it's played out fully. And mm -hmm. that, I think the biggest sin of this movie is the the screenwriting and the joke writing. If they had a better writer's room, this movie may have, I honestly may be sitting here saying I loved it. Some of the action grossed me out. Honestly, the action itself, like the fight scenes where you've got guns and people running at people, that stuff I actually enjoyed. It was over the top in some times, and that's exactly what I want from a corny action comedy vampire movie. Mm -hmm. the, the Like the fight choreography, some of it was really cool. And while not always realistic, there's a scene where they've got two, the Nazarian brother characters who are like two right. hired guns they bring along for the adventure and they're just total badasses. And it's ridiculous how badass these badasses are at doing badass things. And they kill vampires in a hilariously cool, badass way. I enjoyed those scenes. I always like a good fight choreography. That might be one of the things this movie is best at. And having a good cast who was sadly underused because the script didn't live up to it. So... All in all, I think I gave it like a three on Letterboxd. Um, I had a fun time watching it. There were multiple times where I was like, oh, this is fun. I definitely wouldn't say it was a success at being a good movie. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not super mad about it. We'll get into it later. Some of the other original Netflix movies from this year, and some of them are just proper bad. This one was just more, I had higher expectations. It could have been great. Instead, it's just kind of like a middling, okay, that was fun. If you're trying to kill that amount of time, this isn't the worst way to do it by any means, uh, but it's definitely not the best way. Yeah, no, it, it it's it, interesting stuff, and I can't disagree with a lot of the things you said. Um, I I will give kudos like you did to the action scenes, the the one scene of them in the house, and just like it was like the endless amount of vampires coming out of the woodwork, like every little crevice and all that. Like that was pretty interesting. The use of contortionist. As some of yeah. the vampires to do some of the the things that they did, I actually saw some behind the scenes stuff of them filming those scenes um, during Netflix. They do the, this Geek Week thing every year, and this was covered during that. Um, so it was very very interesting, and you know a lot of work was put into that. Um, I do I am a huge fan of the talent too. Like I do love Jamie Foxx. I do like Dave Franco quite a bit. Um, you know, and it is unfortunate that this movie just kind of fell flat across the board you know, for, for me personally. Um, and I think it's because it is mainly because of the dialogue, the written, the, the poor dialogue. I think that took me out of the movie big time, you know? And I, like I said, like there were a lot of moments where, you know, it reminded me of like older movies and it just caught, I just caught myself rolling my eyes quite a bit, you know, like the two brothers, they are cool and all that, but they're again, your stereotypical, 
uh, Eastern Bloc type of you know guys, and we go, hey bro, you know bro, and this and bro, and all that kind of stuff. Like we've seen that already so many times, yeah. over and over again. I, it just got kind of tiring after a while. Um, I will say though, even though I, I kind of ragged on Snoop Dogg a little bit, his character was actually pretty yeah. dope. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, especially fun. when he showed up at the end. You know, with yeah. the crazy like minigun and all that, like you know, he he was pretty badass. Um, I, I think it helped that he wasn't in it a lot. You know, like if he was in it more, then I think it would have like taken me out again more within the movie. So it, it kind of had that anime character quality, where it's like, who yeah. is this cool, cool guy? Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't think Snoop Dogg necessarily did a great job delivering the lines, but he was also trying to play it cool, and yeah. that that it worked out fine. He didn't have much to do. That mm-hmm. side movie could be more interesting, especially if you had someone who could like carry a full movie. Yeah. More. The other, I think another smaller character that's worth shouting out is um, Peter Stormare, which uh, he plays the, um, you, we've seen him in so many movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's John Wick 2. Uh, Constantine is another one. Um, uh, Armageddon. Oh, yeah. Bad Boys 2. Big Lebowski, like it's funny because yeah. El Fargo, this dude has mm-hmm. bona fides, and so I see his face. I was like, oh, Twenty Two Jump Street, we mm-hmm. Bad Boys, the original, like down the list. Um, I is one of those dudes I checked his uh, IMDb during. It. I was like, oh, oh my god, yeah, no wonder. I I was like, oh yeah, this is a cool guy. I don't know why I trust him so much. Oh right, it's because he's been in some really amazing movies in a similar vein each time playing a similar character each time. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, that, that was a, that was a good call on casting him in that role. Uh, there was a few things. I think the casting, whoever did their casting for this movie probably should just be doing Netflix's casting more. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it a little later, but it feels like in a lot of their movies, there's like a missing piece. Casting wasn't it for this one. I think yeah. the main thing, but even the plot, the plot, the plot concept, the beats of the plot, I thought were well done. Um, Jamie Foxx is in trouble at work, has to get back in the good graces of his job, has to get good, back in the good graces of his, of his family. And a lot of these things are very formulaic. I can't tell my wife what I do. I have a really crazy job. And then she's going to get uh, kidnapped by the bad guys. And I have to explain, oh, babe, I'm a vampire hunter. We've seen that kind of plot device many times. Yeah. Um, the, the two friends on the road trip who aren't friends, they, they despise each other, but then they become friends along the way. Right. Um, there was another, uh, Netflix movie from last year, Red Notice with, um, uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. And that was a very similar, like you spend the whole time, these dudes going along on adventures with each other and they hate each other, but then like their banter becomes rapport, yeah. becomes buddiness, whatever. They did a good job of like those plot beats. It was mainly just the poor, like there weren't jokes. There was just like uh, a repetition of jokes that already existed at best. And sometimes it was even more eye-rolly than that. The casting, though, very solid on this one. I think that whoever did that, they should trust more in the future for movies like this. Yeah, I, I do have one casting issue, and that is the casting of... Uh, Jamie Foxx's wife. Don't um, say it. No, okay. no I, I have to. I have to say it. I no. have to say it because, look, I understand that <laughs> there is sometimes that inherent need that a female has that they want to do some plastic surgery, right, and all that stuff like that. Um, whatever the reason is, you know, I support your decisions and all that. But 
this is one example where I think someone should have just steered clear a little bit from the plastic surgery, especially when it comes to enhancements yeah, of certain body I'm, parts. I'm, I'm, no. Uh, yeah, no. Look, either, yeah, when you when that. you can no longer wear a bra because your nipples are sitting way high above your breasts, like there is an oh. issue there. <laughs> don't like this at all. Um, I think Megan did a great job of acting, and I also think that women should be able to do whatever they want with their. Oh, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. Very good. Congratulations on being a good actor who makes good money on in movies. Uh, I hope that you get better movies than Day Shift in the future. Um, I actually, she was were literally, up here. she was she was literally on my good list from this movie. I was gonna be like, oh, that was a nice one, and then another person that I googled was like, oh yeah, you've been in some other good movies I liked. Nipples were up there. Um, Thank, thank you so much. Again, yeah. uh, I didn't yeah. like co-sign anything that was just said by yeah. my co-host. Yeah, well, whatever. Um, I, I just have to keep it real. Um, it was just really, really distracting. But regardless of that, um, again, interested to hear your thoughts about the movie. If, if, if you've seen it yet or maybe, you know, you have not. Uh, what are your thoughts of wanting to watch it? If you have seen it, let us know your thoughts about the about the movie as a whole in the comments. Let us know about anything that we have said and if you agree or disagree. Um, I, I, for me, on Letterboxd, I gave it two stars. Um, it was just something that I was... yeah. I, I don't know if I was expecting more. I wasn't sure what I was expecting, to be honest with you. Um, but it, it was just one of those things where by the end of the movie, I'm just like, eh, all right, you know, it, it's a movie. Hey everybody, are you a fan of collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, and all that stuff like that? Do me a favor and visit EntertainmentEarth.com and you won't be sorry. Entertainment Earth is the premier place online for the latest and greatest toys, the most exciting action figures, and the coolest gifts and collectibles pop culture has to offer. From television, movies, sports, celebrities, comics, internet memes, and every fandom in between, they drop new products daily and curate their selection so that you don't miss out. Whether you're looking for something stellar from a galaxy far, far away with Star Wars or from the streets of Gotham City with DC Comics, they've got surprises for everyone. Get access to exclusive releases and limited run pre-ordered. You can even reserve hard-to-find items before they arrive. From Funko to Hasbro, all your favorite vendors are represented in their robust catalog of cool collectibles. Take advantage of their unparalleled industry expertise and make your collection as worthy as Marvel's Thor. They are pleased to offer risk-free shopping with their industry-leading mint condition guarantee and hassle-free 90-day returns. Find that grail you're seeking for yourself or someone you love. And because I know how special they are and how they're going to be great for a lot of you out there, I worked a special deal with them that if you check out the link featured in the description of this episode, you will get 10% off plus free shipping over orders of $40 or more. I mean, that is fantastic, don't you think? Now, the 10% discount is only good for uh, in-stock merchandise, so it doesn't work for any pre-orders, but if you take a look at their site, there's going to be a lot of stuff they have in stock that you're probably want to get. So again, visit that special link in the description of this episode to take advantage of this awesome 10% offer plus free shipping and buy yourself or a loved one something really cool. Entertainment Earth, so many toys, so much fun. But that leads into our next, uh, you know, our, our, our next part of this conversation, and that's basically the state of the Netflix original movies. Because, 
you know, we've been hearing a lot of news lately about Netflix being in trouble. You know, they're in a lot of debt. They're losing subscribers. Um, the sustainable business model that they have, like, what are they trying to accomplish, right? You know, when you hear about Netflix, you hear, you always hear about their their series. You know, they have a lot of great original series. You know, they were able to pick up and re, re, you know rejuvenate series that were let go from other networks. Um, you know, they're really great with documentaries, uh, especially when it comes to like the true crime stuff. Like every week there's a new there's a few new true crime documentaries on Netflix and they always somehow end up like on the top 10 of the week and everything like that. So they know their audience. Plus for international audiences, they're great for K dramas. Um, they have vastly in, like improved a lot of their, their Indian TV and movie selections. Um, they have a great selection of Japanese films, Chinese films, Spanish films. Like they, they are really global and they went fully global and everything like that. However, when it comes to the movie side of things, th that's where I feel like they are a little bit lacking. And I, you know, Blake and I kind of question what is their plan? What is their model? You know, because at least once a year, they come out with one or two amazing movies. You hear about them, they go into the Oscar season race. And they end up getting nominated and all that stuff like that. But out of the two, there's at least maybe, what, uh, 10 to 15 other ones that they put out there that are just like, whoa, what what were, what were these things? And this year was no exception. So we definitely want to go through a list of the movies that have come out this year on Netflix uh, that are considered to be Netflix originals, but also have some certain uh, star power attached to them. Um, whether it's actor, actress, or director, right? Because, you know, it's no secret that uh, Netflix is doling out huge money and budget to these projects. And maybe that's the problem, right? Because, um, you know, as we go through this list, we'll talk about um, how certain maybe creators or directors should be limited because it allows them to be fully more creative with what they have and what they're given. But... Um, before we go down the list, Blake, what has been your thoughts and feelings about Netflix original movies in past years? Um, have you been happy with the selection? Have you been questioning also, like, what is Netflix up to? Like, what are your thoughts overall? Yeah, so I am very grateful that Netflix has given strong creative minds a lot of money to make cool products like you're mentioning they have their more art house wing and i think 2018 was their first oscar nominee with roma since then they've given money to scorsese uh and by even just like bringing him into the fold was a statement about streamers versus theaters in that conversation marriage story huge favorite from a favorite director noah bombach who's going to have another movie um with netflix this year um, Mank was fun, Chicago, uh, Trial of Chicago 7, Don't Look Up, Power of the Dog. These are all movies that are nominated for Best Picture Oscar that they're giving to in each case. Um, some of the great cinema minds and directors of, of our time and some actors, great platforms, people who otherwise have a harder time getting their movies financed. Of the 10 that we're talking about today that we'll get to a little later, Richard Linklater is kind of the only one that really fits that paradigm of the art house mm. auteur give this dude some money to make their passion project 
I love that they do that. I remember the first Netflix series that got me in was House of Cards. And after that, there's been some Netflix original content that I have uh, completely binged or, you know, I can't wait until it's 2 a.m. in California or whatever time they release their movies so then I can get to watch the new blank movie. Um, there is a lot of filler that Netflix puts out. And I don't quite understand as far as the business model goes, how this works. Cause I know you have some numbers on the box yeah. office stuff. The amount they spend on filler is absolutely unreal. I do understand you want people to be hooked on your streaming service. You want to have original content rather than paying someone else the money and the royalties over however many years, whatever, however those deals work. You'd rather have your own and if you bought out, you know, let's say the Turner Classic Movies library, how much does that cost you versus how much would it cost you to get just as many eyeballs but creating the thing yourself? Right. It doesn't make sense to me that the math would add up, that they would say, okay, we're going to get this many eyeballs in return because how many people are watching Day Shift two years from now, three years from now? The word of mouth on these movies sometimes never materializes and if it does materialize, it usually fades out within a certain amount of time. Yeah. Often um, on their, I don't know to what degree their top 10 lists are actual by the numbers top 10, how they do that algorithm. I feel like there's a, there are often original Netflix things on there, but there's other times where they just buy a movie from back in the day that now is just popular again for any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, part of that reason why we don't understand is because they have certain amounts of corporate secrecy around yeah. their doing numbers, which makes sense from a business standpoint. When there are so many stories about Netflix losing so much money, subscri subscribers decline, but because of Stranger Things, subscriber numbers weren't as bad as we thought that they might be. So that's good. Stock is up, even though we're still losing folks more than we're gaining or at a, not at a fast enough rate, whatever. When you're spending $100 million on a movie and maybe they get that back every time. Maybe there's something I don't understand about how the numbers will work five years from now or 10 years from now. But if you stop making original content at some point and you just have a backlog of old movies that were C and B-list movies at the time they were made, is that worth that much money five and 10 years from now? I honestly, maybe it is. Maybe that is actually a profit-making device at the end of the day. I genuinely don't know. What I wish is that the company made sense to me the way that like their brand could make sense because their brand is an app that I can watch things on. That concept I get. I understand a movie, uh, a company like A24 where I can say they have a strong brand, they make a product, I can trust that product to be good and they're often the ones actually making, sh making the movie happen. Netflix has that kind of model with their art house side mm -hmm. but they also have a lot of filler movies um, one of the ones we're talking about today is senior year and they have a lot of those like high school comedies or high school dramas, 13 reasons why stuff like that. Um, they also have a lot of these popcorn action movies like day shift and a few others we'll talk about today. Uh, and maybe on the algorithm, cause I do, I bet they have great data on their algorithm of if a movie has Ryan Reynolds plus blank, it will make us certain number of eyeballs back, which is monetizable by this amount. Past that, they also, sometimes they buy movies, sometimes they make the movie happen from the beginning. They have TV shows, they have video games, they have interactive show app things. Um, like there's a, there's a meditation 
video series on there that you can actually click things and mm -hmm. interact with in that way. Yeah. Um, there's the Black Mirror one where I think they were the first ones to do. You can click through the in a choose your own adventure kind of way. Right. Yeah. They and so they done different... yeah. They done several like that. Um, and they even have a trivia show where they ask you trivia yeah. questions and you get to answer and you get points and all this stuff like that. Like for me, those are fun. But at yeah. the same time, they don't advertise those enough, I think. I there's some things when we were talking and I was looking in Netflix stuff, I was like, I didn't even know like that right now, what you just mentioned, that sounds fun for me. Yeah. Next time we hang out, let's check that out because I sure. didn't know that existed until you yeah. said it just now. The the report I read recently, um uh, which was secondhand, but it was that ninety nine percent of users don't play games in Netflix. And I remember the story of a year or two ago being Netflix is making a push towards gaming because that's where their next big push for money will be. Right. I don't I want Netflix to succeed. Netflix was my first mail movie service. I'm mm -hmm. at such an age. I was in college and I was getting movies in the mail from Netflix. And then they said, oh, if you're a subscriber, you get streaming. And the movies they had were like really bad. It wasn't B-list. It wasn't C-list. It was like you're Googling things being like, how did this get made in 1982? <laughs> bargain, bargain, bargain bin. And then over time, they start developing it out, their library. And then over time, they start building their own things. I want yeah. Netflix to succeed as a brand for sure. The, the, this business model, even if it does make dollars at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense to me what Netflix's brand is. And just because something says Netflix on it, not only do I not trust it, I actually trust it a little bit less. I say, oh, that's a Netflix original. That means I probably won't watch it because it might just be one of those formulaic algorithm filler movies or shows or whatever they're doing that I, that I've, tried before and as this our list of 10 of those from this year is an indicator like eight of them suck pretty bad and the other two are fine essentially mm -hmm. um yeah. so yeah that's i i don't have clarity on the state of the union i just know that i'm confused and the brand isn't clear and if anything it's kind of kind of weak it seems yeah yeah it's it's interesting because like like you netflix was the first service i signed up for because of their mailing um you know service you know the fact that i could rent dvds through the mail and all this kind of stuff blah blah blah, this and that i think originally what we were hoping netflix was going to be was going to be kind of like really that replacement for the video rental store where any new movie that's come out and is available for home video whether it's dvd or whatever the case is um we would be eventually able to watch it on netflix Right. Maybe at a longer period of time or whatever the case is. But in, in essence, it's like the HBO. Right. It's like one of those like movie channels. But and as time went on, we found that that no, that wasn't exactly what was happening. Like you said, the movies that would pop up that wasn't a Netflix original movie or what Netflix, whatever, was usually an older movie from like several years ago, like falls within like the B category or whatever, C category and this and that. From time to time, we will get your blockbuster film. Like I remember they did have the Marvel movies at one point, you know, before Disney Plus came up. They did have, you know, they would uh, sometimes have Harry Potter and all that stuff. You know, the, what they really, really f figured out, though, was it was series and shows was the one that was keeping them afloat. You know, that was the place at one point when you would be able to go and watch Friends. And, you know, everyone was watching Friends. Yeah. The Office is another one. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the place to go to if you wanted to watch The Office. 
And people ended up just rewatching and rewatching and rewatching all that stuff. Seinfeld, another one. You know, like that was the stuff that kept it going. And then they started having their original programming, right? Like House of Cards, Orange is the New Black. And of course, Stranger Things kind of blew it all out of proportion, out the window and all that stuff like that. And then they have other stuff that comes up, you know, like right recently the Sandman came out. I watched it. I really, really enjoyed it. You know, so when it comes to like Netflix original series, I'm not as hesitant because my experience is that a lot of the series that they put out there have been quite enjoyable. Netflix original documentary. They do very well with documentaries. You know, like I, I love watching that stuff. Netflix original movie. Okay, wait a minute. How, like let, let's think about this like I, you know, I only have x amount of time today do i really want to waste it on a movie that i may end up hating right so i think that's the unfortunate side of things because another way i looked at this list of movies that came out this year is how would this have movie how how would this movie have been perceived if it was actually released in the theater mm-hmm. and i would say most of these movies probably would have ate shit big time yeah. you know um with the exception of maybe one right one or two but you know these are the type of movies that i'm just like there's a reason why at blockbuster video there would be that section of b movies when you had no other choice all the hot new releases were already rented out and you wanted to watch something new you would have to go to the shelf that had all the direct-to-video and all that stuff like that because a lot of this stuff kind of falls within that scope but they have really big talent attached to it, which is pretty nuts, you know? Um, so it is pretty interesting. Um, and let's just go through the list right now um, so that we could just like briefly talk about each of these movies. Cause we, we you know, between Blake and I, we, we saw, either we saw it, like at, we both saw a movie or one of us have seen it and we'll you know quickly talk about it. And this doesn't cover a lot. Um, like I said, I think of the year so far, there are at least 20 plus Netflix original movies. Some are foreign uh, movies, some are animated movies, some are movies that don't have really like big star talent attached to it. So obviously we only have so much little time and we don't, we were not able to watch all of them, but we picked the ones that does have the star power or at the point that it came out had huge word of mouth. You know, so we, you know, we wanted to check that out. So first on my list here is the Adam Project. Now, the interesting about the the interesting thing about the Adam Project was the director is Sean Levy. He's worked with Ryan Reynolds before, you know, Deadpool, Fall Guy. So he has a proven track record with working with Ryan Reynolds and doing movies that actually perform very decently in the movie theater. Right. Um, the budget on this movie is one hundred and sixteen million dollars. Like, yeah, for a Netflix original movie that didn't even see any theatrical release, that's a lot of money. And you're going to hear this come up quite a bit um, and makes you kind of question, okay, no wonder why Netflix is in trouble. Uh, But, you know, he had Ryan Reynolds, Zoe Saldana. uh, The young boy in it was fantastic. I thought, you know, if you ever needed a carbon copy of a of a younger version of a Ryan Reynolds, that dude did a brilliant job. Um and for me that's what what that's what the most enjoyable part of the movie was was kind of like seeing them go back and forth between each other. The action was pretty cool. The story, the plot, you know, all that kind of stuff was like, you know, it was decent enough. 
Um, at the end of the day, after watching the movie, I was like, all right, you know, that was quite entertaining, but I don't think I would give have been like, wow, if I saw this in the movie theater, I think I would have been pretty, pretty disappointed. Um, Blake, what are your thoughts on it? So I didn't like this movie at all. So I'll keep my thoughts brief. Sure. Um, this I thought this was going to be an action movie for me or for adults or people who are like cognizant, aware viewers who would watch a movie and enjoy it. And it must have not been. And my only guess on who it was for was like preteen boys and their dads. Like I remember being young and there'd be a father son kind of movie and I'd watch it with my dad and we'd get choked up and we'd appreciate each other more. That kind of thing. They learn to appreciate their past. Um, there was something almost redeeming about that aspect of it. That said, when you're paying, you said 160, 160? No, 116. 116. That makes more sense. Thank God. That's still too much damn money for this. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, Zoe Saldana, Mark Ruffalo, and Catherine Keener. Money. Which, speaking of Catherine Keener, I know earlier uh, we got into it about Megan Good, or as I call her, Megan Great. If you want to talk about fake bodies, Catherine Keener's younger version (laughs) in this movie really gave me the creeps, not for any fault of Catherine Keener's, but if you're paying money to your CGI team to make something look good, it shouldn't look like this. There, I actually there was a few moments they go, oh wow, they pulled it off. This is good. This is kind of like eh, it's kind of like the Irishman where it's like I'm kind of like oh, this is this is actually pretty. Good. This is pretty good. Oh no! And then there'd be a moment where she turns her head and says, oh no, oh no. Oh, it's all about out. when she turned. Yeah, it's forward. all about when she turned ahead because I was just like, whoa, uh, uh, like that just does not work. <laughs> if the movie's good enough, people will forgive your special effects to a degree. We had this conversation last week with RRR, which you can find on Netflix. Probably should watch it before any of the other movies we're talking about if you if you only have one movie yeah. to watch on Netflix. We talked about that. We're like, there's a few times where the CGI wasn't great, but I didn't care because I was so wrapped up in the movie. This one is the opposite problem. Uncanny Valley, there was no excuse uh, for if you are spending, if it's only a formula action movie, we're throwing money at it. That stuff needs to be on point. The, I didn't find it funny. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, I love his humor. Uh, was essentially like a teenage and 20-something boy raised on Ryan Reynolds movies. Love mm-hmm. his humor. Didn't enjoy this one at all. In the, it like, I didn't find it funny in the least. None of the act... like They have real stars attached to it. They have a real director attached to it. To me, it was it was painful how how dumb and bad. And like the action was not good. The special effects weren't good, but also like the action choreography type stuff. It's just like an explosion would happen and people would fly everywhere and there didn't feel like any stakes. I'm going on too long about this movie, but it's because I was properly disappointed. I had some expectation that maybe this would be good and it was really, really bad and irredeemable on essentially every single level. Yeah, um... I, I I do feel like this movie was definitely geared towards a younger generation. You know, I feel like it was like an action movie for like younger kids to watch with their parents or with their dads and all that. 
Um, it also does feel like, now that I'm thinking about it, it feels like, and this happens in Hollywood from time to time where, you know, Sean Levy and Ryan Reynolds probably just finished doing Fall Guys. And then, and then Sean is like, hey, you know, Netflix just gave me $100 million. You want to do a movie this weekend? You're like, sure, let's like let's, let's cook up something real quick. And, yeah. you know, they took like a weekend to write it out. And then for a week, they shot it like in, I don't know the forests of Canada or something like that. And they're like, hey, Zoe, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. All right. You want to be in this movie? Sure. Why not? Um, you know, it, it could be it, it, like it kind of feels like that. And like I've heard stories and there's been reported stories about movies actually being filmed this way. You know, like, you know, they'll just be like, hey, let's just like do something real quick. Um, but for something yeah, that was. Yeah, I, I also think of equally valid possibility, which that's for sure valid. It's yeah. the artist who wants to get out of the recording contract with the label, so they just release a POS album because they don't want to make the label money. If you told me that Ryan Reynolds and his bro were like, hey, dude, let's get out of this deal. What do you want to do? Throw $108 million at CJ, CGI, split $2 million each with my buddies, and we'll just call it a day. They could have shot the actual acting parts in a few days. You're right, and everything else CGI, CGI for all we know. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like they probably, like, yeah, like actual film time was like a day or two. And then the post-production was probably like a month or two, right? Like that. And they probably did it to uh, some friend of theirs that, you know, had some free time every other weekend. And you know, hence, I would explain the really bad um, de-aging that they had with Catherine Keener, which was like terrible. Um, but moving on, the next movie I have here on the list is called Windfall. Now, a lot of people probably don't know what Windfall is. Um, but this is, I, I would add this to the list of their art house type movies. Um, it stars Jason Siegel, Jesse Plemons, and uh, I believe the female is um, Lily Collins, I want to say. Um, let me just look it up real quick. Yeah, Lily Collins. Um, really good cast. Obviously, a bunch of well-known actors. And it takes place just in one location in this house. Um, and it, it, it very harkens back to like a Hitchcockian type of movie where, you know, it, it's basically a guy who's down on, on his luck, decides to um, rob a house and things fall apart when the actual owners of the house show up. And it becomes this, like this hostage staging situation and all that. And certain conversations are had and you get to realize that no one's happy and all that stuff. So if you remember movies like The Ref back in the day, it kind of reminds me of kind of like that um, with a surprise reveal at the end where the one who does escape the house is the last person you probably expected to. Um, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's a nice short an hour 30 plus uh, minute movie goes by real quick. Um, there are some scenes where it's kind of like long shots and all that stuff like that. You know, again, speaking to the artsy parts of it, I thought the acting was really well done. Uh, but from what I've read, and this is one of the movies where I can't find the exact details. Netflix paid a major eight figure sum on this movie. Now, whatever that means it, they probably way overpaid for because of the star talent attached to it, you know. Um, but it is one of those movies that didn't really like to say a lot. Like it didn't really like make a lot of waves. Again, when I mentioned it to you before we started recording, you're like, "What movie is this?" Um, they didn't really market it. 
and it doesn't even get in front of my eyeballs. And I'm a fat fan of Jason Siegel and Jesse Plemons. Yeah, that's probably wild. Like you and I literally surf upcoming releases, and this one just a uh, name that I yeah. never heard before. No recognition. It sounds almost like a COVID movie. The fact that it's in one location, I could almost see that yeah. kind of thing. Like, oh, we're gonna do the the campus concept. Um, yeah. For the movie, I just looked it up. Uh, I was gonna see it based on the cast alone. I yeah. just looked it up. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, fifty nine percent. Metacritic, fifty two percent. Letterboxd, two point eight out of five stars. You can't pay that much money and have high quality actors and then just be that nothing. And not that it's, I don't even know if you're saying that it's so bad. It's just that it was kind of like meh of a movie. Yeah. Like, like, like again, I enjoyed it because of the formula of the type of movie it is. You know, like again, it's not something groundbreaking. We've seen movies like this before. Um, I just like, you know, I thought the actors did a really great job. Now, are the characters likable? No. Like all three characters, you want to just like punch in the face, to be quite honest with you. Um, But somehow I love movies like that where everyone is just like miserable in their own way. You know, (laughs) so I feel like for you and I, this is like movie that is like within our wheelhouse. But for a general Netflix audience, definitely not. You know, and I could understand why that's probably it didn't do so well. So so that was that really. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm curious how many people sitting at home watching Netflix want to watch people being miserable. Like, oh, I'm snowed in today. I'm going to have a Netflix day. Right. I'm going to watch three people go through something who are all, I don't like any of them. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like, especially if you just want to escape on Netflix and you're at home, you're like, I don't want to hang out with anyone. I don't want to have conversation. I just want to tune out. I can't yeah. imagine that that's what the average person is looking for. No, uh, next thing not. we know, Netflix will have a TV show that's just people scrolling through Netflix trying to find what to watch. Right. The whole idea is escaping whatever the hell it, it is that uh, yeah. uh, I can't imagine the general audience liking that. And I would also think, too, that, you know, it, speaking about algorithm, right? Now, if I am a Netflix viewer, watcher, and I love Jason Siegel, so obviously I've watched I Love You, Man forgetting Sarah Marshall, like all of his great comedies, right? Like How I Met Your Mother, right? All that stuff. And then I also like Jesse Plemons, but I know a lot of his, you know, real serious like movies, right? And then this gets recommended to me. This is not the movie I would be expecting, you know, from either actor, you know, and that could totally throw me off. And I'm just like, wait a minute you know, this movie sucks, you know, or like, you know, I was not expecting this type of performance from either actor or whatever the case is. Um, So it is, it would be interesting to hear like the fans of like these actors, if they've watched this movie, what were their overall thoughts? Because Jesse Plemons played a character I've never seen him play before. Um, You know, maybe closer to his character on Breaking Bad, but not even, right? So it's, it's just really, really, really weird. It's a weird movie. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the algorithm's worth mentioning here. If exactly what you're saying, people like this, so then they'll watch that. This comes up, then they'll watch it. If you end up watching that thing and being disappointed, then it actually, it might inform the algorithm to a degree if you're clicking the thumbs down and thumbs up. I'm actually curious who all does that. I'm the kind of person who does do that. I do. I do too, yeah. Uh, If anyone is commenting, definitely let us know if you have a thumbs up, thumbs down, or if you're even the person who does that. Because I think that that might help with the algorithm and someone's experience with Netflix. But generally, 
kind of what we're talking about is a lot of these movies have like missing parts. It's almost like Netflix has identified through their algorithm. We give someone the information about the cast, the title, the director, and a couple other things, some keywords. And that might be the only information they have when they're deciding which movies to invest in. It's as yeah. if like um, Don Cheadle's character in Space Jam 2, where he's, they're just going, oh, people like movies that have balding action stars under the age of 32 who whatever, and like just the most arbitrary algorithm. And so they go, oh, we'll make that movie next. Yeah. Um, that, that's obviously a hypothetical example, but Red Notice wasn't too far away from whatever that concept is. They go, oh, a lot of people like Dwayne <clears throat> The Rock Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. And right. if it has the word action, comedy, then we've got a, enough eyeballs. Right. Not to go back to the State of the Union conversation, but is that sustainable if the movie isn't actually good? And maybe, generally, people do like these movies. Maybe the critics are wrong. And, like, humans are sitting there at home. They're not even bothering to log in into anything to rank it. And they just go, they don't even have a Rotten Tomatoes account. They just go, I love that. I'm going to keep giving Netflix my money. Maybe that's happening. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I can't believe we spent that much time talking about Windfall, which I, I know. I know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, that that's a great question because that, that's why I said in the beginning, like, your thoughts on these movies may be very, very different than ours, you know, and but we want to hear if that's the case. You know, we want to know. Um, but the next uh, movie on the list is a movie you saw. I wasn't able to see it is uh, Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood directed by Richard Linklater. Uh, very, very huge director. Um, so what were your thoughts on this movie? First off, I love Richard Linklater. I don't love all of Richard Linklater's movies. For that kind of art house director that Netflix sometimes invests in, there are some where I always enjoy their product, or at least what it is that they do. So like, I don't like every Aaron Sorkin product, but I always like an Aaron Sorkin script, for example. Um, David Fincher has an essentially untouchable record in cinema, and when they give dude money for Mank, it makes sense to me. Um, Richard Linklater has a few projects that I don't really enjoy, but overall, as far as indie American film directors from that 90s class of indie American film directors, dude is one of the best and longest running careers. Going back to like um, Waking Life is is one of the first Richard Linklater movies I remember. Um, this is the same dude who does Dazed and Confused. Um, and then, but to, on Waking Life and Scanner Darkly, it's a similar um, animation style happening here where they're actually filming things and then they're kind of painting over it. Um, that works pretty well with this movie. Uh, it's anytime he's had a movie that's a little more dreamy, it seems like he uses that style that he essentially, if not inventing it, pioneered that style of animation. Um, we saw it last year with Flea nominated for, um, international feature, uh, that kind of style of animation. Um, this one was also dreamy. It was one of his movies that was harder to follow, and it's definitely going to be in like a middle to lower tier of the Richard Linklater movies that I've seen. Um, the general concept is it's about being in Houston around the time when Houston was doing all NASA stuff, um, and they're having the first flights to the moon, what it was like being a boy during that time. And so in some ways, it's about Richard Linklater's childhood, or it's at least inspired by that. Um, and then also there's a side story happening where the boy goes to the moon and it wasn't clear enough to me 
to what degree was that a dream or they were trying to say that that was actually happening in the movie? And if so, what was it actually saying? At some point, the boy falls asleep during the moon landing closer to the end of the film. And for all I knew, it was like, okay, part of that thing happening, which would be like normal movie about coming of age story, young boy, Houston, during the time of the moon landing and what life was like then. And then it would just be, he's getting recruited by NASA on a secret mission. Um, I did enjoy both of those different concepts. I didn't understand how they work together. I had heard other reviewers say something similar. So in that way, it wasn't uh, successful of c combining those two concepts. Overall, it was well made. The craftsmanship was top level. And there were a lot of things about it that I really liked. Um, especially early on in the movie, the conversation about what it was like being alive at that time in American history in Houston. And even though it was a couple decades before I was born, it reminded me a lot of being a boy in Oklahoma in the pre-internet world. And it was kind of cool, like hearing them getting excited about like chasing turtles or what they would do for fun, like trying to set off rockets in their backyard, going to the theme park. Um, it did a really lovely job of painting that story. And there might be kids these days who have no idea what that concept is like of a sure. pre-Netflix childhood where you don't just have a tablet in front of you all the time. That was, it was poetic and it was really well done narrated by Jack Black. Um, the, there's a lot of really, really great Richard Linklater movies. And I think of all the before movies, the before sunrise, before sunset, days and confused waking life's one of my favorites. Um, we can put School of Rock on that list. Boyhood was nominated for a lot of awards. Loved it. Um, he, and then he has a bunch of other movies that are a little more middling or less inspired, maybe you could say. Or maybe I just didn't get around to seeing them, but weren't as well received generally. This one's probably deserves to be more in that latter list. It doesn't necessarily make sense to me um, that the movie wasn't edited better because then it could be a proper awards conversation movie. Even just some tweaks to the editing might have been all it needed. From my understanding, and it's something you mentioned earlier, Netflix gives blank checks to creators and says, we want you to go make a project, go fulfill your vision. What they might need to do is rein that in a little bit more. And it's possible someone like, you know, a David Fincher says, I'll only do this if I get to do whatever I want and you don't even get to review it. And maybe mm -hmm. they should take that deal. David Fincher. There are other directors where they actually do really great work when they're given limited resources and they have to get more yeah. creative with their locations, their script, their camera work, etc. This might be one of those examples, or maybe it just needed another um, another look over from a different editing team, or I don't know what all. But that's happened a few times with those some creators that I really love where I, their Netflix products are usually among my least favorite, or they're in that middle to lower tier. Like Scorsese and Irishman, that movie doesn't have to be three plus hours long. Some of his best movies are ones where he actually wasn't, he was on the ropes in his career, and he had to be more resourceful. The studio said, we'll only give you this much money because your last one flopped, and he makes his best work yet. And he's bounced back so many times in his career. The Netflix one where it's just, Marty, here's a blank check. You can make whatever you want, and it's a three-hour gangster old man movie. Like... It was good. It was really good. Uh, it was definitely middle to lower tier Scorsese, in my opinion. This is similar ranking for Linklater. That said, at some point, we're going to rank these movies, and this is going to be near the top because a lot of the other stuff is much, much <laughs>
you want a 2022 Netflix movie in this style, the auteur, I think based on our what I saw about Windfall, this might be a, like the best one they have so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some other ones coming out this year that I'm excited about in that art house vein. Yeah. So I don't think it'll end up there. But if you just want a new Netflix original movie art house style, this is it was good. It was enjoyable. And if you're a fan of Richard Linklater, definitely, definitely watch it. If you're a fan of Jack Black as in Kung Fu Panda, don't don't watch this movie. Ah. I, mean, I think it's a little too dreamy, literary, and weird. But I, I I did enjoy having it on. It was a pleasant movie. Cool. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Definitely not your uh, Kung Fu Panda animated fare in this one for sure. Um, but it is still in my queue. It is a movie I am still looking to check out for sure um, because I I am a fan of the director as well. Um, and I, I I've always loved that animation style. Um, and I think it's like very, very innovative and still works. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to stick with you for the next one. Uh, cause you saw this and I didn't in that senior year, rebel Wilson's kind of coming out movie where it's her first movie with her new bod. So, um, what say you about this one? Okay. Uh, I'll keep this one shorter senior year. I did laugh multiple times. It is another of those more middling Netflix movies, but I wouldn't be surprised if their formula said rebel Wilson, people click that they know and trust her to make them laugh. And so we'll give rebel Wilson her own vehicle. It was, it was a good movie for that kind of like, high school or there's a it's actually a going back to high school movie so it has things in common with clueless it has things in common also with like billy madison the going back to high school kind of movie um it has some things in common with mean girls in ways where she used to be the popular girl falls into a 20-year coma goes back to school and doesn't understand what this new world is like and how to navigate and how to be prom queen which is her dream it's a very woke high school and uh, it felt like it was kind of written by an adult or their understanding of what teenage phone social media culture is all about and, you know, young wokeness and that the most popular kids are the ones who are all about body positivity and inclusion and diversity, et cetera. Like, I actually don't know. I'm sure there are some high schools that are actually not too far from this, but it has the question that like Euphoria and a bunch of other teen stuff has now, bodies, 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 where it's like, did an adult write this so that adults would think it's about what teens are like now, or is it actually what teens are like now? I unfortunately can't speak to that um, in <laughs> in my years. But um, overall, fun movie, funny enough. It's a pretty flawless fish-out-of-water concept. Mm-hmm. And there were times where she is being hilariously offensive for 2022, because she's still using language from right. whatever I think 2002 was was when she has her accident as the head cheerleader. Um, the, that fish out of water comedy is a take on 2022 wokeness, cancel culture, like the way that the world has changed without it being old man Clint Eastwood griping about like uh, these kids and like their politics. It's not a get off my lawn way to handle that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was actually a, a good way to show perspective on life now and the way that the world has changed over 20 years. But the person, nobody's really like uh, a victim of those jokes. It's just a fish out of water concept there. Um, 
miniature spoilers so if you're really excited about this movie and haven't seen it yet which i have a hard time believing that that person exists skip ahead like 45 seconds uh there was a really nice moment where the person she looked up to when she was younger alicia silverstone famous from clueless she wanted to be that person and then it shows alicia silverstone now and rebel wilson in a car ride alicia silverstone picks her up on the side of the road and they have a talk and alicia silverstone's character is essentially saying it's not what it's cracked up to be. Your goal should not be popularity. So the girl who was that it girl, high school movie girl back in the 90s has that moment. It was a clever cameo casting. So she's uh, actually in the movie? Actually in the movie. Yeah. Wow. That's that, cool. It was a clever little touch, and especially if you didn't see it coming. I looked up the cast before, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, but they don't show you that character. You just know that she exists. She was the popular girl that she'd always looked up to. And then you meet her in its current day. I, That's this cool. Might be or so, so I won't say it again. Um, overall, if you want like a dumb high school kind of comedy and you can't watch Booksmart because you don't have that streaming service, then watch this one. It, it's fine. It'll be fun. Actually, probably Mean <laughs> Girls. I don't know about Billy Madison. I don't know if it holds up. I haven't seen that one in a long time. Super bad. Uh, if all of those movies have been taken off because they were on whatever it was, uh, who had the issues recently, I think HBO Max, if it's all gone, then maybe this should be like your fifth or sixth choice for right. adult actors playing high school people. Well, it's <laughs> in, well, it's interesting because Netflix has been promoting Mean Girls a lot on their service. So I feel like that's a great companion movie to Very to much that. so. I wouldn't be surprised if it was literally just the algorithm. They're getting people to watch that to then go to this. I honestly, right. I I wouldn't expect anything less from Netflix, but uh, it was fun. Not, I don't think we need to go into it. There's not a lot to unpack in this movie. It was good, mm-hmm. though. It was fun. It was fun the whole time. All right. Well, that's good to know. I mean, it, it's 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 on my list of maybes, and that's like huge maybe um, because, I, I don't know, a lot of the Netflix original comedies have not really been so good, like, for me personally, yeah. uh, a lot of misses there. But one, in my opinion, is not a miss, is this next movie called Interceptor. All right, hear me out on this one. All right, and I'll, I'll try not to spend too much time on it. This is a good hour and a half action movie that stars uh, Elsa Pataki, uh, famous for the Fast and the Furious movies, also famous for being the wife of Chris Hemsworth, they have a lovely daughter together who is also featured in the new Love and Thunder. Um, but this is her vehicle. This is her, honey, I want to be an action star like you. And I want to have my own movie. So she's in this movie as like this um, uh, kind of army person who has been ridiculed because she made an accusation of an actual sexual assault that was made by a general and people believe she was lying about it. And then all these guys and macho meatheads within the army kind of put like this bounty hunt for anything that involves her. And they found out that she did like these calendar pinups. Um, so she is constantly being ridiculed for all that stuff and is stuck on this base. One of the two bases that uh, help prevent nuclear missiles from entering the U.S. atmosphere. Hijinks, hijinks ensues. Someone steals 16 nukes from Russia, wants to fire them on the U.S. because America sucks these days, and blah, blah, blah. This, and who's there to stop it? Only she can. And if I were to say 
that this is like your throwback early 90s action Bruce Willis die hard meets freaking Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. That's all this in a bag of chips. I actually kind of enjoyed it. I enjoyed even more so now learning that they only had a $15 million budget and they wanted to keep it within that budget. So they only filmed it on one set. So that's why the majority of the movie is on this one base in this one secluded area. And it's like one of those like, you know, like raid scenarios where you have got to get in here to stop it. Or now I have to try to get back in there to stop it, blah, 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 this and that. And it's a lot of cat and mouse, give and take, all that stuff like that. Um, I enjoyed it. I think this was a really well done movie. I was really pleasantly surprised. It was campy, but I think it was made campy on purpose. Um, And there was a lot of references to uh, Me Too and Women Power and all this kind of stuff like that. The president is a female, which they kind of revealed in this very dramatic way where at first she was just talking to the the oval office where it's like the head of this guy the head of that guy and blah blah this and that and they're like oh the president's on on their way and then when she shows up the music just stops like yes i am the president and this is what i'm telling you you need to help us this and that um it was just very and there's like a lot of dialogue about when you talk to women don't call them honey babe all this kind of stuff like that. So it was a lot of um, nods and mentions to treatment of women today, along with the sentiment that America is not good. You know, I am a pure patriot, this and that, yada, yada, yada. Um, There is also a huge sense of nepotism in a way because Chris Hemsworth does show up in the movie um, as like a throwaway character that just happens to be in an electronic store as news breaks about what's happening. Um, but for some reason they keep cutting back to him and showing his reactions every time something changes. And I thought that was a little annoying later to find out that he's an executive producer of the movie. So, um, be that as it may, I actually really enjoyed this movie. The only reason why I had it on my list, too, was because it was fully mentioned during the Geek Week that they had uh, about action movies and the amount of work that they put on this film with very little budget. So I thought that was, like, really, really well done. So I don't know. For me, this was a big win for me. I don't know. I guess because expectations were also so low because I watched all of these other pieces of shit. And I saw this one. And this kind of was, like, put a smile on my face. Netflix, I think the lesson is you can save $111 million compared to what you spent on Adam Project and make a movie that Renee likes even more. They have (laughs) the same reviews. (laughs) $15 million. I was going through a list of like, there's so many classic movies that were super low budget. And it's like the Napoleon Dynamites, Rocky was a low budget movie, um, Blair Witch Project. Mm -hmm. There's... Why, why would someone spend $116 million on, a, on just a piece of crap? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that this one was enjoyable, and I'm glad that the standard had been set so low yeah. that they wouldn't fail. Uh, yeah. I might skip out on this one, but at least I'm much closer to seeing it now that I've heard you talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, like this is one of those like hidden gems. Like When I talk about like renting B-movies or directed video, sometimes you come across that movie is just oh, like, yeah. whoa, wait a minute. Oh, like yeah. This was actually pretty fun, right? This is one of those, in my opinion. Okay. Love yeah. that. Some of my favorite movies are like they got uh, terrible scores from critics 
and then I see and I have like it's like it was made for me. Sometimes you get lucky like that. So yeah. I'm glad that the Netflix algorithm failed correctly <laughs> for you in this circumstance. Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I think I think we should like later on also like at a, a separate time check the percentage rating. Cause you know how like some of the movies or some of the shows you watch on Netflix will say like percent for you or whatever yeah. the case is. I am so curious about yeah. what those are for these movies for each of us. So uh, we could do a follow up episode on that. Um, but next on the list is actually a movie that was surprisingly enjoyable, and that is Hustle, um, Adam Sandler movie. Um, it's already been known that Adam Sandler signed this huge Netflix deal. Uh, with uh, Happy Madison Productions, um, you know, doing movies for Netflix directly. Um, and this is one of those movies that fall within that. And I think this is probably one of the best ones that he's ever done to date, in my opinion. It's your typical sports-like movie. It features a lot of NBA players in there. If you're a fan of basketball, this is a movie just for you. Not only do you have players, but you have coaches and um, and all that. Like, we... Adam Sandler is a huge basketball dude, so I'm sure it was very easy for him to convince a lot of these people to be in the movie. Um, the guy they got to play the main character, the main prospect, is one of the brothers of the the Herman Gomez family, which is like pretty big in the NBA right now and in Spain. Uh, I thought he did a pretty decent job, even though you know his acting is not the best. Uh, but it reminds me of movies like, you know, like Hoop Dreams or, um, you know, The Blind Side and stuff like that. Uh, if I had one criticism, I think the training montage was way too long. I felt like that thing was never going to end. Um, but other than that, I, it was a quite enjoyable movie experience for me. I actually it had a lot of heart. Uh, and I, I love sports movies that kind of give you this type of feeling of like hope and all that. And like... Uh, meaningfulness when it comes to loving a sport and doing it for all the right reasons, um, you know, because uh, you have a family to love and support and how it changes the perspective of another individual who was already getting soured on the whole um, industry that they work for and all that stuff like that. So I like this. Uh, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the movie there, Blake? Yeah, uh, this is among my favorites for sure. Uh, Netflix originals more generally it's up there um, I forgot about Adam Sandler's deal with Netflix because uh, I didn't watch any of these I'm looking at a list yeah. <laughs> Halloween, The Week of, Sandy Wexler Murder Mystery, The Do-Over, The Ridiculous Six, uh, I think that was the first one I remember seeing funny enough he was in another serious movie with Noah Baumbach that was a Netflix original before Marriage Story The Meyerwitz Stories I like that one uh, but yeah. mainly because I'm a Noah Baumbach person. I think Adam Sandler is a brilliant algorithm choice for Netflix. That makes so much sense because so many people have like enjoyed him for now three decades plus yep. and have seen everything he does. And if you're a, you'll see everything they do. Ryan Reynolds has a bunch of fans like that. I'm essentially one of them. If I see Ryan Reynolds, I'll, go, I'll you almost always watch it. Same with Adam Sandler until Adam Sandler had this series of flops and horrible, horrible movies that did very well at the box office. I'm kind of glad Netflix made this deal because every now and then Adam Sandler makes an awesome, great movie. Yeah. When I was young, he was a classic comedy legend. And since then, there's a handful of movies 
these great movies um, between his uh, Punch Drunk Love with Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. Uncut Gems a few years ago, Meyerowitz Stories. Um, he's had a few serious action movies. This is one where it's not serious, serious. He's a wild, wacko person. He plays a normal dude, very Adam Sandler vibes with a very Adam Sandler wardrobe. Yeah. And I thought he did great. He's really good at capturing emotion. The dude has depth. And in some ways, this is almost like a perfect algorithm for me. The only better one is Uncut Gems because it's like great mm-hmm. high quality art house movie stuff plus basketball plus Adam Sandler and comedy. Yeah. This one had less of the serious, serious art house vibes and instead was kind of like a feel good type movie, mm-hmm. a, like kind of like that sports movie thing of they're behind. Will they get ahead? They had an injury. Will they recover? They're in last place. Can they get to first place? Like that's uh, the sports movie formula. It kind of does that, but it's more of a human story and it's not as corny as a lot of those. I loved the experience of watching this movie. I don't know because I can't unmarry myself from my love for basketball, sports stuff, and all that montage, for example. I This was a movie I watched late at night, and when it was over, I was like, damn. I woke up the next day. I'm not kidding. I thought I hadn't finished it. I went to the Netflix, like, oh, I get to finish this movie. Go in, click, and I go, I, I, like I was half asleep. I was like, damn it, I finished that one last night. I, <laughs> there's nothing new i watched the credits i was going through like all the cameos there's a lot oh, yeah. so fan. many 30 ish basketball cameos from proper stars which i guess if you're adam sandler and you just had the kevin garnett experience and uncut gyms maybe that's just like your cachet is any basketball person will come through if i ask them to i don't know how much those folks are getting paid or if they are if they just want to say they're in an adam sandler movie yeah but um the cast was legit Mr. Hernan Gomez, the star, the other star of the movie, great work. He didn't have a lot of dialogue. He was a quiet, soft-spoken character. That was probably a smart choice, having seen a lot of athletes act before. But he crushed it at that. They made him seem like an amazing basketball player. If you're not a basketball (laughs) fan, he's an awesome, awesome basketball player. This movie is totally accurate. It's super amazing. Uh, Spoiler, that's not exactly true. He is an NBA talent though and they did a great job making him seem like the next great big thing i honestly loved it um i i i could geek out on it more i know we're short on time so i'll just say like if you're into that any of that stuff i had an awesome time for sure yeah no i i agree with you like on this list here this is my favorite you know this is like probably the top um because of a, a lot of things that we both said um, I just love Adam Sandler when he does serious stuff, you know, or yeah. more serious stuff. And because he's really good at it. You know, he is really, really good at it. Um, Punch Truck Love. I cannot stop talking about that movie all the time whenever I have a chance because that was my first intro to see what he's capable of when it comes to a serious role. And, I, and I've always said for the longest time, I want more Adam Sandler like this, you know, and we got glimpses of it, you know, like Uncut Gems was great. Um, I haven't seen that the the, the Bombback movie um, yet, but when I saw this, yeah, it, it is. It felt like we we're watching the real Adam Sandler, like like just as to him, normal every day, uh, with the exception of being married to Queen Latifah, who I think you know I did feel like she did phone it in a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I she was kind of like the weakest part of the movie. But not to the certain point where I'm just like, all right, you know, like, 
whenever she's on screen, it ruined it for me. I just felt, you know, she was just hanging out. Um, but it's still, it, it the movie was really well done, very heartfelt. Um, and it was just very enjoyable all around the board. So, yeah, if you're a fan of, like, sports movies, especially basketball movies, this is definitely, add this to your list because you will definitely enjoy this. Um for sure. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, but before we continue, I wanted to quickly talk about Bulletproof Coffee. Bulletproof Coffee is my favorite coffee of choice to start off my mornings with. Why? Because it's clean coffee. What does that mean? Well, one, there are no chemicals in it. Why? Because they go through this multi-step process of making sure that all of their beans are fully clean and free of any chemicals so that when you get the beans delivered to you, it is the pure beans, the pure coffee, the goodness that you've been wanting, the taste, the flavor, and the nutritional value as well without worrying about any added chemicals or anything else put into the mix there. Um, it also doesn't have that weird acidic taste that some coffees give you. I don't know how about you, but for me, some coffees kind of give me that weird sensation in my stomach, makes me a little burpy, and it kind of drags me down a little bit instead of really waking me up, uh, which is something that I need for my coffee every day. Bulletproof also offers a lot of keto-friendly snacks and supplements, anything that you need to kind of add to your everyday nutritional needs, add to your diet, and make you and pretty much transforms the way you feel uh, every day. So uh, for a limited time, if you use this code on that you see on the screen right now, LOWKEYGEEK, all caps, one word, you can get 15% off your order. So what what is it better than that, right? Check out the link in the description of this episode. Use this code, get yourself your discount, and make your mornings a little bit more bulletproof with Bulletproof Coffee. Now, back to the episode. Uh, next here on the list is Spiderhead. Spiderhead is a movie that stars Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth. Um, it was based off of a New York Times article. That's why I was so interested to see that the New York Times was part of the opening credits. Um, Because that kind of like threw me off a little bit. But this is one of those movies where Netflix uh, spent $100 million on on this movie uh, for this one. Um, It basically just takes place in this one location. Um, Very, not I wouldn't say futuristic, but mm, not that far off future maybe possibly. Especially when it comes to the experimenting of certain um, drugs. Uh, Journey Smollett is also in this movie, too, um, who is a favorite of both of ours, um, especially after watching her in Lovecraft Country, which she did a brilliant job in. Um, My thoughts on this movie, I mean, it was it was okay. Um, It was nice to see Chris Helmsworth play someone you didn't like um, for a change. And he does he does. Um, that type of role extremely well, extremely, extremely well. And I thought it was really great. I'm a fan of Miles Teller, but I didn't think this is one of his best, to be honest. I felt like it was very cookie cutter in a way. Um, same for Journey Smollett. I, I felt like it wasn't her best for sure. I, I Underutilized for the most part. Um, but it is another one of those movies where I put in a category of I didn't like any of the characters. So I wasn't really rooting for anyone at the end of it. Um, I could have cared less if anyone survived or not. Um, Great soundtrack. Um, Me being like an 80s and uh, yacht rock type of fan. Like, I love the soundtrack. 
And the ending of the movie, the last like 10 minutes had me laughing quite a bit. So that really like surprised me where especially like shit fingers, the, re- the reveal of shit fingers, which I thought was pretty hilarious and all that. Um, so it, it is what it is. It, and again, the premise is very simple where it's just like experimentation of certain drugs that are supposed to make and change your mood. Uh, turns out that, you know, Chris Hemsworth was the head of the company and, you know, he is trying to save his company and this and that at the expense of these inmates who signed up to have a better quote unquote life, but having to be guinea pigs uh, for these type of experiments and whatever the case is. Um, So it was, it was one of those movies where it was okay, but I did give it two stars on Letterboxd because it was just, it wasn't enough for me to be like, you know what? That was enjoyable. It was a movie. Uh, yeah. And I've said that quite a bit um, throughout this episode. But your quick thoughts there, Blake. What did you think of this one? I didn't realize it was a George Saunders short story from The New Yorker. That's actually good to know. Um, I've enjoyed some of George Saunders' literature before. Uh, it makes sense that it was based on something legit. It was not itself legit. Mm-hmm. It. I agree with basically everything you said. I don't have any uh, issues <laughs> with any of the takes. <laughs> I agree. It was it was essentially a nothing, another meh of a Netflix movie. Yeah. And sadly, it was another example of me being excited about something because I like these stars and the source material without even realizing it was George Saunders. Like, I like a good dystopian, mood-altering mm-hmm. drug. How do I escape from the compound movie? There's been a few of those. Uh, some of them are classic. This was not on that level at all. And it... In theory, it could have been. If you gave this yeah. a proper um, director, not, it's hard to say that he's not a proper director after <laughs> Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Miles Teller has great quality stuff. Hemsworth, yeah. love him. Um, this is another example of what I'm finding to be the Netflix problem when I'm trying to diagnose it, which is I see the N Netflix logo. This is an original, and I actually now yeah. don't trust it because I get my hopes up because of the pieces of the formula that they hit, they say, Blake, this is hundred percent recommended for you based on the things that you like. And then I am disappointed because it's, it's more like a formula adapted into a movie rather than an actual film. And right. for that reason, it was disappointing. I'm, I, I don't want to just shit on things. There's, I wasn't shit fingers. Really, dude. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was on this movie. There were elements of it that I really enjoyed. There were certain scenes and and that the actually like the concept of the movie and watching that play out with Miles Teller's he's a good actor and sometimes he was phoning it in for sure. There's times where you're watching a man lose his mind. Should I torture my friend in this science experiment kind of thing? Like there's some really good intense dystopian type of moments and like the compound itself was beautifully set up. Mm-hmm. I think those are the end of the things that I think were just like flawless about the movie. Everything else was kind of a, a bit meh. Uh, Hemsworth, he's got great comedic timing. Always love to see him do comedy instead of drama. Seeing him play an asshole was kind of fun. Have yeah. a chippier character. That I'll, I'll say that was fun too. You're right there. Uh, otherwise, eh, you could skip this one. It was fun. It was good. It was fine. It was fine. It was not. Yeah. You don't need that. There's enough content out there that wasn't created by Netflix, and even some that was that you don't you don't need to watch this movie. Yeah. And I, and I think another running theme about a lot of these movies is the potential, right? This had the potential to actually be a better movie than what it turned out to be because of the concept. 
I thought the concept was very, very interesting. And yet enough of the idea there that you could have executed like a really, really well done movie. Um, it's just, like you said, the Netflix problem of um, having the shell of a movie, but then the end product is not what you were hoping it to be. Right. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's kind of sad. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they address that moving forward, you know, and all that. But next on the list here, we have <clears throat> the most expensive movie, Netflix movie to date, and that is The Gray Man. Uh, this had a $200 million budget. It's a movie uh, directed and written by the Russo brothers. Uh, it is one of, I believe, their first non-Marvel-related movie that they did. Um, however, it felt like a freaking Marvel movie, just with just without the Marvel characters. You know, you had Ryan Gosling, who did a lot of superheroic type of stuff throughout the movie. He had uh, Ana de Armas, who I love 100%, and I feel like she needs to do more action movies. But again, a lot of over-the-top superheroic type of stuff. And he had Chris Evans, kind of like the mustache-twirling supervillain, uh, who is like the the opposite of Ryan Gosling's character, um, who was, you know, great to see Chris Evans play this kind of like villain, kind of like how I mentioned it was great to see Chris Hemsworth play like an asshole. It's fun to see uh, Chris Evans do like this really bad, you know, villainy type of role and all that. Um, the stunts were insane. The special effects were like all over the place, um, good or bad. Um, they too fell in love with drone shots, just like Michael Bay. I think they attended a seminar that he hosted to talk about that. Um <laughs> But but overall, it was a very recognizable Russo Brothers formulaic movie, if you are familiar with what they've done with the Marvel films. Just, again, insert or remove said Marvel character from, this, from their original movie and insert just regular Joe Schmo, and that's the movie you got, you know. So uh, for me, it worked to a certain extent. However, the pacing was just was too frenetic. It was just like, I felt like I was going to have a seizure at times because it's just like, when can I take a breath? There's just a lot of stuff happening, happening, happening and all that. Um, but for the amount of money that they spent, uh, I'm surprised of the reception it got because um, not a big, you know, didn't really um, cross a lot of like positive lists there for a lot of viewers. So... Blake, uh, it looks like you're having some video issues, so I, I don't see you on the screen right now. But um, what are your thoughts? Uh, definitely want to hear what your thoughts of are about uh, the gray man there. Thank you. I was looking up the... Can you see and hear me now? Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. I was looking up the Russo Brothers filmography. I accidentally clicked refresh on the page. didn't realize the... Thank you. <laughs> Um, so they actually had a few movies before their Marvel stuff. I'm, I'm not even trying to nitpick right now, but I was just curious what their deal is. The last one that they did was 06 before Marvel stuff was You, Me, and Dupree. Then they do one, two, three, four Marvel movies in a row. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as directing, this is all for directing. Then they did Cherry with Tom Holland last year, and then now The Gray Man. Just oh, Cherry, really that's right. Career. Yeah where the first few were kind of nothing. And then you mean Dupree. I remember that existing with Owen yeah. Wilson in it. Uh, 
And then now Cherry was a bit of a flop, and then Gray Man's a bit of a flop. It's not that they're... I didn't see people saying these are the worst movies ever level, but when you go from among the biggest box office movies and then you're making your own stuff, there it doesn't seem like they're passing the test, unfortunately. I was yeah. excited about their careers. Gray Man, I think, in, is successful at some things. Um, I don't think it's successful overall. And it's another one of these Netflix problems where there's just like some missing pieces and it is a shell of a movie for sure. There's some concept and plot that is well-developed. There's an amazing cast. In this case, we have successful directors, maybe not like great artsy auteurs, but like successful uh, in their, their past. They know how to make a movie. Maybe they don't know how to make one on their own without the Marvel studio, and maybe they definitely don't know how to make one under Netflix, which might be something that uh, Netflix should keep an eye out when they write someone blank checks, especially if they're going to be hands-off when they ask someone to make a movie. Um, overall, I don't, sadly, uh, I was really excited about this. I am uh, number one in the Ryan Gosling fan club, having seen almost every movie he's ever made, uh, other than the ones that I cannot watch. I was very disappointed in this movie because my expectations were like, I wanted this to be a fun, great, awesome, cool, badass action movie. And it had elements of that movie that I wanted it to be. So it wasn't a full-out disappointment, which almost made it worse. I kind of would have rather hated the movie. Instead, it was like a middle score of, I think I gave it 2.5, maybe 3 on Letterboxd. And it's it's the formula problem that we we keep bringing up with these movies. If we're seeing a theme, yeah. one of them is they they give you the things that you want. Like, the they give you the the toppings of the pizza and just pepperonis. And you say, I like pepperoni pizza. I go, well, here's some pepperonis. You go, well, I actually... I was expecting a meal. There isn't anything substantial happening here. This is another example of those. Um, there are some things about it that were properly bad, some acting choices, some s script writing, <laughs> some moments of things that were kind of do-overs. The camera work was solid. The action set pieces were solid. Um, it's not like every time Netflix makes a movie, this one element is bad. It's just like there's not enough to make it a cohesive, great, here is a movie that you can't. Uh, say isn't it like doesn't have missing pieces um, so overall uh, someone described it as the movie they did folding laundry on a Sunday and I said that is perfect <laughs> that is the exact mode that you should watch this movie is it's in the background and you look up you go oh that's entertaining and you don't necessarily need <laughs> to have see the movie in a cohesive in a theater watching the whole thing start to finish kind of way you just kind of have it on, and when you hear a gunshot, look up, go, oh, that's cool. That's about it. That's interesting. That's interesting because I do feel like if you're not watching the movie and action scenes are happening, you do miss a lot because there's just so much happening on the screen. You yeah. know, there's like a lot of stuff. But I think this is also one of those movies where maybe you and I are just not that Netflix audience that resonates with this movie. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because I'm on Rotten Tomatoes right now. And, you know, obviously the critics pan this movie left and right. So it's like 46%. But the audience score is 90%. You know, and Based it's on like... Well, on Rotten Tomatoes? Yes. Okay, I honestly don't trust those numbers, but I'll, I don't mean to interrupt. I'll let you finish. No, 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 it's I, fine. Those might you know, be juiced. Because like, okay, and then on Google, like Google users, 88%, you know, so um, I, I just wonder, again, 
is this one of those movies where maybe a more general audience it gels better with a more general audience you know like the one thing i did ask myself after watching this movie was if this movie released in the theaters would it have been successful because of the type of formula that they they were able to to have and all that stuff like that so i am very curious if it was if it was one of those movies that could have made a lot of money you know especially not so much now in the period that we're in but let's say this came out in 2018 you know, would this have been a movie that probably would have made a decent weekend because of Rooster Brothers, because of who's in it and all that? Um, I don't know. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's definitely not one of those movies where I'm just like, oh, wow, this was like mind blowing and like amazing. But according to Netflix, it did well enough that they already signed on to do a sequel. And it looks like they may be making a whole universe around this franchise. So this could be Netflix's, I don't know, Russo universe or whatever the case is. Um, that's why I do wonder, like, how well it did it really do with a more generic audience? Yeah, I think this is another one of those examples. We don't know if they're playing the lowest common denominator, then it might be successful in that way. It definitely has the component parts of what people would like in movies. There were enough set pieces uh, for the action when um, when Ryan Gosling's chained to the bench and being shot yeah. at, and there's some humorous dialogue. There's a few. There's enough moments in it that it was a fun time that made it a like that were enjoyable. That if someone is doing laundry during the movie, right? And I think that's maybe Netflix is playing to their audience knowing you're watching at home, you're going to have a second screen on, you're going to be texting yeah. somebody back during it. We don't necessarily need to have a perfect cohesive film. That it actually might, might work better at, in that kind of setting, even though traditionally this would be a movie that's better built for theaters with the large action set pieces. Um, right. It sounds like I didn't realize that the audience scores were that high. Uh, that's that's interesting. That's another example, though, where Netflix might actually know what they're doing on the algorithm better than than we could. And these are just just our reviews. Um, yeah. Although I still questioned the two hundred million dollar budget, though, that's and, and not and not have a theatrical release. I mean, that's pretty nuts. How do you get that back? And this one could have had and could have we know it could have made them, let's just yeah. say, 30, 40, 50 mil modern right. day. And then they put on Netflix even in the first few weeks. I don't know. That's yeah. interesting. What a business yeah. model. Oh, okay. it's 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 phenomenal um, to have that money just to throw away. Like it's just like it's the best. Um, <clears throat> we talked about day shift already. Um, I just wanted to mention that that had a budget of a hundred million dollars. So again, right. another huge budget for that type of outing and all that. Last on the list is the movie that you you saw there, Blake. Uh, Fistful of Vengeance. Um, I believe it stars some of the raid guys. So what what was your thoughts on this one? Yeah, um, we're going to do our top five list shortly, um, yeah. and I'm excited for that because this one's hard to even talk about. It was absolutely terrible. Uh, I wish not only that I'd been doing laundry during this one, but that I'd been buried in a pile of it. It was literally hard to watch, as in just hard to even pay attention to the action sequences, which is tragic mm -hmm. because when you have the star of the raid, Iko Uwe, and that's what this dude's known for is awesome, badass fight choreography. The fight choreography in this movie was not good. The camera is cutting away in the middle of scenes that could otherwise have been cool. Uh, it felt like the, just any normal, like, let's say, 90s karate kid style choreography of I put my leg back and then I kick out and then someone jumps back a little bit. 
there's just that level of choreography way throughout throughout most of the movie. There's a few explosions. Mm. The that was really bad, and that would have been the saving grace of the movie. Unfortunately, also to be a good movie in that action way, even if you have good choreography, you have to have some plot and dialogue and script and acting. And this movie, uh, I, I I hate that we're ending on the worst note, but this movie didn't have <laughs> any of those things. It was properly, it was kind of like, it felt like student film level acting. The dialogue was actually bad. And you know me, I skew towards enjoying a movie and trying to find the things I appreciated about it. This is one where by the end of it, I was genuinely mad that it existed, especially because I had my hopes up. I said, well, no matter what, it, you know, it, it, Jackie Chan has a lot of great movies and he has a lot of bad movies, but you say no matter what, at the end of the day, he's going to have good fight choreography. There's going to be something redeeming about it. The fact that this one didn't have that uh, and, and everything else was missing worse than I could have even guessed going into it. It was a huge, huge letdown. To the point where the final action scene, uh, I there's no reason to get into the plot. This is apparently a, a follow-up to the TV show Woo Assassin. Um, oh. The final fight scene is the two greatest fighters in the world, essentially. They're floating. There's no context for where they are. It's hard to explain. There's a little bit of supernatural going on, too. You, there's no perspective for where they are, how far back they're getting hit, and they're just kind of like throwing their fists at each other a whole bunch, <laughs> dangling from a supernatural rope in a floaty cave in the earth thing. It's hard to even explain. Yeah. Unless you've seen it, and I would say don't don't bother. Uh, that's a bummer to end on. So can we please Oof. move on to our top five? That sucks. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's. <laughs> All these Netflix movies, it was just the worst one for sure. Oh, that's terrible. Um, so yeah, let's just go into our top five. And I will say this: my top five list will not, more than likely, make my top five of the year list at all. This is just top five, one. not even a okay. one. Yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm already like I in my mind I'm I'm thinking about all the movies I saw in the theaters this year so far, the stuff that's coming out this year. Um, there's no way that any of these movies will ever crack my top five of the year. Um, now, as far as future Netflix movies are concerned, I am looking forward to Blonde. I think that has a potential to be one of those power of the dog Roma situations. Uh, but we'll see. But from for what we have so far, my list for top five, um, in no particular order, but I'll try to keep it one to five like that. Number one is Hustle. Number two is um, Windfall for me. Number three is Interceptor for me. I mean, I, again, I can't praise that movie enough for what they did. Um, number four is The Adam Project. And number five is The Gray Man. Oh, <laughs> this is a brutal list. And you're absolutely right. <laughs> None of these are making my top five at the end of the year. Um, I could see The hu uh, Hustle getting shortlisted on the... I want to mention that this Possibly. Yeah. I'll do the same thing you did. Start with the positive about Netflix yeah. and their 2022 slate. I'm excited about Noah Baumbach's White Noise um, based on the Don DeLillo novel. Favorite director, classic uh, novelist. That Hopefully that'll be awesome. My top five Netflix 2022 movies so far, the originals, is Hustle for sure. Uh, then I'm going Gray Man, which we just shit on a lot. Uh, that's number two. 
Apollo 10.5 uh, senior year, and then I'm going to say Spiderhead. It was almost day shift. Uh, that's a really meager, sad, sad Oof. top five. Oof. Next week, let's make sure to do a movie that we actually enjoy. Those are going to be more fun, but also I do I did enjoy like trying to figure out what the deal is with these Netflix yeah. original movies and going through these, and I'm glad that I'm not alone here. Uh, and yeah. we both enjoyed Hustle. That is, yeah. seriously, I, I had a lovely time watching that movie. No, I, if there was, again, any kind of silver lining in this, is like it allowed us to watch um, a movie that we probably were not expecting to enjoy as much as we did. For sure. Yeah. Um, and it was a great exercise, again, to go through and just see what is happening in, in the landscape of Netflix original movies. Um, because it's I think for you and I, it's so easy to put a lot of focus on theatrical releases and all that. But I, I do understand, and I think we both understand the importance of streaming and how that's not going away anytime soon. And they're like releasing more and more stuff every month and every year. Um, it's just, you know, it questions though. It asks the question is like, what is Netflix going to do moving forward with the amount of money that they're putting into these movies only to get mediocre reactions out of a lot of people. So uh, again, curious to hear your thoughts about this list of movies that we went through. Is there something that we didn't include that maybe you think we should include and we should like check out? Let us know in the comments. You guys have and girls have been fantastic in recommending stuff based off of our last video. Um, and we just want to hear your thoughts overall uh, of the the situation that is the Netflix. Um, a lot of you who have watched our episodes have put Netflix as their top streaming platform. So let us know. What is it that makes it the number one for? Is it the movies or is it the original shows or the documentaries? Let us know in the comments and all that. But that is the end of our movie time episode this week. Before we go, Blake, where can people find you on the webs? Uh, on Letterboxd app, go to my account, Blake Wolf SSN, where you can see me give basically every one of these movies a 3.5 or less, sadly, except Hustle. I think I, I was so excited to finally enjoy one of these. It was like 4.5. Uh, maybe nice. four, more honestly. Um, and then also find me in the comments below. I loved the conversation last week after Triple R. That was fun to see the comment nice. section uh, blow up. Uh, so let us know your thoughts there, and uh, I will I'll see you in the comment section. Nice. Um, as for me, again, Loki Geek, you can see all the handles on the screen there. Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, podcast, all that stuff. If you're brand new to the channel and you haven't done so already and you liked what you watched or listened to, subscribe, like, notification bell. If you are an audio listener, go to your podcast platform of choice and follow us there. You could find this episode and many others on there. Leave a good rating when it prompts you to. But that being said, this has been Movie Time. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. We'll catch you all next week. So stay cool, stay classy, stay safe. And peace out, y'all. Bye-bye. Okay.